Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. Take your Bibles, if you would, and go to John 14. That's where we're going to be this morning. And I just want to say thanks to Cal. Um, we, we're here this week. Our entire family's here this week in Michigan. And um, we love the Wisin family. We love Cal and Mary. We love David and Kristen. And it's always refreshing to us to come to Michigan and spend time with friends. And not only do we love them, they're dear, close friends, but we love this church. And I know for you, you go to church here. And sometimes when you go to church, you um, kind of miss... Um, the bigger picture of the story God's writing in your church. But can I just tell you, um, we love this church because this church plants churches. It encourages pastors. There's all kinds of spiritual fruit from the biblical counseling that goes on here. And I just want you to know from afar, we look and see the incredible story God's writing here in Spring Lake and Grand Haven. And I hope that you get a chance to enjoy that even as you come every week. But um, we're just really as a family I'm honored to be here this weekend. You know, it's been three years since I was here last to preach God's word, and um, a lot's happened in those years. Like when you think about just even like the last two years, um, if I were to take the last couple years and, and, and write down the dominant words that would kind of describe that, on one list, I'd have these words. I'd have like COVID, right? That would have to be on the list. Like after the last two years, COVID would have to be on the list. I'd have like COVID politics, social media, opinion, like nobody's actually offered their opinion on anything in the last two years, right? <laughs> yeah, like it's been like constant, right? Like if the, the word that would be added this year would be like inflation or gas price. Like I have this list of words over here and honestly, like none of the words on this list are great. And then I have this other list over here. And on this list, I think about like being in COVID and like as a family, we got incredible family time during COVID. Like lock us in the house for a few weeks together and like you're like, oh man, how's this gonna go? This, this went great. And like on this list, I have like time with family, memories, blessings. I'm hearing of churches like yours and ours all over the country that are coming out of these last two years and they're even more faithful to the word of God and to the gospel and they're more fruitful to see kingdom fruit. Like on this list are a bunch of good things. And then like a couple of weeks ago, how many of us actually thought that in our lifetime we would see the reversal of Roe v. Wade? Like, amen? So like, I'm just telling you, like, like on this list, like, if this list is bad, like this list over here is like really good. And if you're like I am, you have these two lists. And what ends up happening is you end up going back and forth between the list. And it only takes one reaction from someone. It only takes one frayed relationship for the pendulum to start swinging between the jarring and the difficult and the joyful and the purposeful, it only takes a few little things to make this pendulum start swinging. And before we know it, we're not fruitful for the kingdom of God. And honestly, we are totally unsettled. I'm thankful that Jesus actually addresses that in the scripture. I call this two-list life and this back and forth, I call it the in-between life. Jesus calls us to live the life in between his first coming and his second coming. And if you're like I am, like when certain things happen, like I think about that phrase in Revelation where it's like, amen, come Lord Jesus, right? Like I have that thought sometimes like when the day is going bad, I'm like, Lord Jesus, if you would come back today, that would be great. But if it was like five minutes from now, that would even be better. 
You have days like that? That's because we're living this in-between life. Jesus, in John 14, shepherds his disciples, instructs them, comforts them, readies them. Listen, he, he shepherds them to live life in the in-between after he's gone. And it's a good passage for us to look at. Let me just tell you where we're going to go this morning. Let's just roadmap it a little bit. In the first 15 verses of this chapter, you find Jesus steadying his disciples, just steadying them, reassuring them, reinforcing their faith. In the first half, that's what you're going to see. In the second half of the chapter, you see him moving from steadying them to readying them. And so we're uh, in this um, series, the king is in the room. The king is in the room with his disciples in John 14, and he's preparing them So would you write this down? Here's the main idea you're going to see unpacked through the entire chapter today. Here's what it is. Ready? Jesus steadies and readies his followers, me and you, his disciples in the passage, Jesus steadies and readies his followers to live purposefully while we await his return. That's a lot of words, but you're going to see it in the passage. So let's just jump in. John 14, starting in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. All right, let's just go that far. Okay, and what you're going to find is Jesus is spending this time in the upper room. This is the upper room conversation or the upper room dialogue, John 14 through 16, um, where he's talking with his disciples and he's spending time with them on the night he's going to be betrayed. And he's shepherding them and he's shepherding them specifically to be able to live with confidence. To be able to live with confidence. He's steadying the troubled in these first 15 verses. Jesus wants us in the in-between life to live with confidence. And I don't mean like the human fleshly kind of confidence. I mean like the kind that he brings. Here's how he does it. Here's how he shepherds and steadies their troubled heart. In the first six verses, you find him reassuring a fearful group of believers. In verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, it would be good if we're just kind of working our way through the passage to stop and ask this question. Why would he need to say that? Like, why, why would he need to say, listen, don't be troubled. 
Go back with me, if you would, into chapter 13. And in chapter 13, you find at the beginning of the chapter him washing their feet. He's instructing them about what's to come. But when he gets to like um, verse 21 of chapter 13, he specifically says to them, one of you is going to betray me. And he starts walking them towards an understanding of what's coming. And then he gets to like verse 36 or verse, excuse me, verse 31. And it's like, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. And they're like, yes, yes, amen, amen. What we typically do, right? And then here comes the verse. Chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Why were they troubled? Because this group of men, over the last three years, had pushed all the chips to the middle of the table. We believe you are who you say you are. And we have left everything to follow you. And now Jesus is like, I'm gonna be betrayed. He's told them about the cross before. He's previewed him into what's coming. And then he says to them, we're going to be separated. Where I'm going, you cannot come. It, they had a right to be troubled. And, and Jesus sees it. And in chapter 14, verse 1, he's just reassuring the fearful. He's like, listen, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now underline this in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Um, Pastor David said last week, as you guys were studying God's word, the entire book of John rests on this one word, believe. These things I have written to you so that you will what? Believe. Okay, there's something about being settled in heart and ready to live that rests on do you believe? But now look at what he does here in verse one through six. He begins to give them a set of reassurances. Look at verse two. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. All right, let's just go that far. In those set of verses, as he's reassuring them, he makes sure they understand there's a reassurance of blessing. Where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. For the Jews, that was always a major thing. It still is today. In their thinking, in their heart, God making a place for them that is theirs where they will live in relationship with God, that matters. And Jesus starts right off with, where I'm going, there is a place for you. There's rooms for you. There's plenty of rooms for you. There's lots of rooms for the Father. He's reassuring them of the blessing. By the way, some people were like, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to have this awesome mansion. That totally misses the point. The point isn't what room you get to live in. The point is you get to live with the one who owns all the rooms. Amen? The blessing is not the room. The blessing is the unbroken privilege of being in the presence of Jesus Christ. And he's like reassuring them of blessing, but then he reassures them, and this is the big one, he reassures them of his return. In my Father's house there are many rooms, if it were not so. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Man, that's what they needed to hear. That's, that's the balm that is just affixed to a troubled heart. And what you're seeing is Jesus just steady them, just steadying them. 
I will come again. I will come again. Think of the magnitude of those words. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church where when we talked about the second coming of Christ, it was almost a fearful thing. Like I remember as a little kid, like watching a movie called Thief in the Night. And it's like, he's going to come back in the middle of the night. And if you're not ready, you're getting left. Okay. And like, it was a fearful thing. I remember like as a kid, like, I, I, like if I heard like a truck go by on the interstate in the middle of the night, I would think Jesus is coming back and I didn't want to get left. So I'd like roll off my bed and repent real fast. Like whatever I've done, like don't leave me here. And thinking about Christ saying I will come back was a fearful thing. Here's the, here's the thing. It's not a fearful thing. I remember being like, I don't want to be left behind. My worst fear is they'd actually write an entire book series called that. Jesus coming back isn't a fearful thing. In this passage, it's a settling thing. It's a steadying thing. While you're living life in between, listen, I'm coming back. A reassurance of blessing, a reassurance of return. Keep looking in the passage. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now look at this. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. There's a reassurance of blessing, of return, and this is really important, of ongoing relationship. The unsettledness that they had in their heart was from the truth that they were going to be separated very soon. Imagine on the day Christ died, just, just a few short hours after this, when they would have the thought, I'm having a hard time reconciling what I'm seeing right now with his words that says he's coming back. Do you ever have a hard time reconciling what you see in this world right now in this life in between with his words that are saying, I'm coming back? But he reassures them. The relationship's gonna be there. And then as he's steadying them in this crazy world they're getting ready to go into, he's making sure he's addressing, I'm, I'm trying to reassure the fearful. And then he says this, verse four, you know the way to where I'm going, Thomas said, okay, let's just, before I talk about what Thomas said, multiple disciples are quoted in this passage, and quite frankly, none of them say anything super intelligent. That's comforting to me, because I'm confident that if I were there, I would say something dumb too, all right? Thomas just blurts out. Thomas just blurts out, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? By the way, whenever somebody asks me if I know the way to go somewhere, I'm usually pretty confident, like, I got it. I got it. And my wife, who will be next to me, will betray with her face. <laughs> he doesn't have it. And, and like, she, she's so loving, she doesn't say anything at all. We get in the car, and, and early in our marriage, um, we came up with what we call the two-U-turn rule. I'm allowed two U-turns before I have to humble myself and stop and ask for directions. <laughs> now, GPS has fixed this problem, and so what we do is we get in the car, and Laura's like, I just want to be a good helpmate to you, and I'm going to go ahead and type that in. Um, Thomas doesn't even pretend. He's like, I, I, I don't even really know what you're talking about. I don't know the way you're going. We don't know how to get there. And then Jesus says these magnificent words. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He's already reassured them of blessing and of presence and of relationship going forward. 
But what he does right here in John 14, 6 is he reassures them. You know, guys, you push the chips to the middle of the table with me. I want to reassure you that you didn't do that in vain. That I am the way. The reassurance that he is the way. You know the way to get to heaven. It's through me. If you're looking for a map, what he's doing is he's reassuring them. You've already come to believe the truth. Stay there. A couple of things about this verse that I think are important. Jesus makes it very clear. He's the way to the Father. The way to an unbroken life of relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. And it's only through Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and life. The clarity that comes out of that verse is in the way that it's written. If we were writing this in the English, we would write it this way. I am the way, comma, truth, and, and then when we get to the and, we'd be like, do I have to put another comma after and? And we write it like, I am the way, comma, truth, and life. But that's not the way the passage reads, is it? Note the definite article that shows up before every single one of them. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what he's saying? The clarity that's being brought in the verse is this. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. That's the clarity that comes. The way is not going to come through things that you'll do. The way to salvation is only going to come by what he does and what he accomplishes. And whether or not you take hold of it by faith. The exclusivity, I meet people that are like, I just wish Christianity was more inclusive. We struggle then with this verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This verse is clear and it's also exclusive. Jesus is making the exclusive claim meant to reassure his followers there is one way and guys, you're on it. The fullness of this verse then is this. True life, it's only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. Salvation's found in no one else. And the true settling of our soul is found in nothing else and no one else. Everything you and I would look for to steady our life, to steady our troubled hearts, will leave us hopelessly unsettled and still looking. Why? Because Jesus is the only true way. And if this morning you find yourself looking to relationships or looking to substance or looking to activity or looking to anything else to truly settle your spirit. Listen, you're looking in all the wrong places and you will be left hopelessly longing for this truth, the true life of a settled heart ready for the kingdom. It's only found in Jesus Christ. My question for you this morning is this. Have you found that? Have you believed in Jesus? He's like reassuring them. He's preparing them for when he's not going to be there. He's settling their, listen, there's, a, there's an application here that I think is important. Waiting hearts can be settled. That's what he's doing. Man, that's so good for me. You know why? Because as I wait for him to return, there are times that I just need to have my heart settled before the Lord. He's like, listen, I'm coming back. And I am the way. And you believe. It's reassuring the fearful. But here's what he does next. He reinforces their faith. Look at what happens in verse 7. If you've known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. By the way, nothing Jesus says in verse 7 is 
is anything different than what he's been teaching his disciples the whole time. So then what happens next, if we thought Thomas blurted out, look at verse 8. Philip said to him, I'm just before I say it, for all the grief we give to Peter, Philip should be on our grief list for this verse. Ready? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is like, he says it in the next verse. Do you not believe? In verse 1 through 6, he's reassuring the fearful. But in verse 7 through 15, he's reinforcing the fragile. He's reinforcing their fragile faith. Let's just be honest. The disciples aren't making all the connections yet. The Bible makes that clear over the next couple pages. They don't totally see how everything's coming together. Would you agree with that? So they make statements like this. And what Jesus does here, he does not chastise them. He's studying them. And he's wanting to make sure that you make all of the right faith connections before I'm gone. He's like, listen, have I not been with you this whole time? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He's reinforcing their fragile faith. If you haven't really grasped it all yet, Philip, I want to make sure that you do. And then he says this, do you not believe, verse 10, that I am in the Father, the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. What's he going after? I want to make sure that your belief, I want to make sure that your faith, which seems a little fragile, maybe you're not making all the connections. If I'm steadying your heart, I'm certainly going to reassure you. But when it comes to a fragile faith, we're going to make sure it's built up correctly. And he's reinforcing their faith. What did Jesus come to do? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Help me with this. And the Word was with God. And the Word, John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, showing us all of the Father. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. All the fullness of the deity dwelt in bodily form in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago he spoke to us through the prophets, but now he speaks to us through his Son, who is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus came literally to put the Father on display and to make sure the Father's words were heard. And what he says to them here is this. You've been with me this whole time. Are you not making this connection? Because I want to make sure, listen, there is no going forward into the in-between life if you do not believe. And he's pressing them on it. He even says this, look in the passage, verse 10. He says, I don't speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He basically gives them two evidences. Here's how your faith can be firm. Number one, consider the words that have been spoken. Those are the words of the Father. And they would have been like, that's right, the whole time we've been with you, you've been speaking the words of the Father, we've heard it. It would have in their mind reinforced, that's right, everything you've been saying is what the Father says to us. They would make that connection. The second evidence he gives is this. If you believe the words and you're struggling with it, a little bit with that, then believe that I and the Father are one because of the miraculous works that you've seen 
that validate all of the words. In other words, guys, think back to not only what you've heard me say, but think back to what you've seen because that will reinforce your faith. He's not chastising them, he's shepherding them. In the next chapter, chapter 15, this incredible passage about abiding, he's like, I want you to stay connected. We're gonna talk more about that in a second, but here's the thing. Abiding, write this down, would you? Abiding rests on believing. And before he starts to ready them, he steadies them by reassuring them and then taking the key thing, their faith, the belief. And he's like, I wanna make sure it's reinforced. I wanna make sure you really believe. Belief is the foundation for any life that comes as a follower of Christ. Without true belief that Jesus is God and he did what the Bible says, we have nothing. But let me encourage you, just like waiting hearts can be settled, undeveloped faith can be firmed up. If that weren't true, why would we have youth group? Why would we have children? Why would we be here together? See, there are times in this in-between life where we're unsettled and our faith needs to be reinforced. He continues to reinforce their faith. Like in verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works. He makes the connection that when you're steadied, you are then getting ready to go do something. Steady leads to ready. And he goes right into it. Note the faith and the action. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes faith will also do the works that I do. Action's gonna come from the faith. And greater works than these. Is Jesus really saying that we're gonna do greater works than he did? Yes. Important to understand that context is to understand what he's talking about in the context of, of John. In John, it's clear that Jesus came to reveal the Father, to reveal the truth, and to raise up worshipers from everywhere. Remember John chapter four, the woman at the well? Okay, Jesus says, like, I I'm here to bring up worshipers. God wants worshipers, that's what we're doing. We're raising up worshipers. Do you realize what God's called you to do is to reveal the truth? In Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my what? witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the uttermost. What we're doing is we're revealing the truth. That's what we as believers do. That's what we do. Why? So that worshipers are raised up everywhere. Literally, we're doing what Jesus was doing. And he's like, greater, greater works you're going to do. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. Some people think verse 13 and 14 are like the, the Jesus Lamborghini verses. Because they're like, hey, he says right there, whatever I ask, he's going to do it. Again, context is king here. The context is whatever glorifies the Father and reveals the truth so that worshipers are raised up. When you start asking about that and you start asking God to do those things, that's what God's gonna do. All of this is done to steady them. But he doesn't stop there. He wants them to live confidently. He wants them to be steadied. But now he turns his attention to this. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you and yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let's just go that far. He's like, guys, I want to just steady the troubled heart. I want you to live confidently, but you need to know in the in-between life, living confidently means living through connection. It means staying connected to Jesus. He steadies them in the first 15 verses, and in the next set of verses, he's readying them for this in-between life. So he settled them, and he's like, okay, now I'm going to start talking to you about how this is actually going to work. And he starts right off in verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Some people take that verse and they cut out the rest of the Bible. And they're like, what Jesus wants us to do is the Bible says this, so I'm going to do it. Tomorrow I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps and I'm going to go do what the Bible says to do. And then between like three hours later, we struggle with how we fail to be able to pull that off, right? Have you ever had a day like that where you're like, today I'm obeying the Bible. And then you get in your car and you get behind the world's slowest person, right? And you're like, I know God did this on purpose. Like, I know he's working on my patience. And I'm going to be patient for like 30 more seconds, right? Okay, and it, like, here's the thing. We have no ability to do the spiritual things in our flesh. Do you agree with that? That's why verse 16 and verse 17 are so important. It's like, I want you to live through connection. And that's why I'm promising you the helper, Verse 16 and verse 17. If I, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He promises the helper. The word that's used here in the Greek can be translated as helper, counselor, comforter, advocate, or defense. In fact, in most commentaries, when you read on this particular verse, they don't even choose which one it means. They just actually requote the Greek, paraclete, and they're like, the Holy Spirit is that. Because the Holy Spirit is, at the same time, comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, all that. Helper. Don't breeze past this verse. This is part of the problem with Christians today. We let our hearts be steadied, and then we run out to do something and realize, here is the truth. Ready? Write this down. Nothing eternal is going to happen if the Holy Spirit isn't in it. Nothing eternal is going to happen if the Holy Spirit's not in it. And when we, we run out, we're like, you've steadied my heart. I'm ready. Here I go. Jesus is like, I'm sending you the helper. I'm sending you the helper. And he will be, according to the passage, with you forever. You ever have a friend who's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, I'm changing the oil in the car. Great, I'm going to come over and help. And then they come over and they talk to you while you're doing it. They're like, open up, a, open up a really cold Coke or Pepsi if they're not a really good friend. And, <laughs> and, and they talk to you while you're doing it. And while you're doing all the work and they're talking to you, trying to encourage you, your bitterness level's going up. I thought you said you were coming to help. And like, they don't really help at all. Ever had that? Here's the thing. That's not this kind of helper. This kind of helper is with us forever, making sure we stay connected and look in the passage, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells, circle this, with you and will be in you. 
Jesus is like, I'm making sure the connection can happen. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter two tells us that no one can know the mind of God except for God and his spirit. And then it says this, the Holy Spirit freely gives those things of the mind of God to us. So that when we look at this world and we're like, this thing is crazy. I love how this passage ends in first Corinthians chapter two. But we have the mind of Christ. Key to living this in-between life is living through connection, and that comes through the Holy Spirit. If you read through the book of Acts and you see what the Spirit-filled life looks like, you'll begin to crave that and every day ask for that. I really believe this is true. We cannot live a day without the Holy Spirit's help. Every day getting up and saying, I I want to be filled by you. I want to be empowered by you. I need your conviction. I need your counsel. I need your comfort. Because it's relationship. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. He promises the helper, but then he previews the relationship. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Imagine how important those words are when they see him die. Because I live, you will live. Imagine when they saw him after the resurrection and they're like, you're living. And you know what that means for me? That means I'm going to live too. And then these incredible verses. In that day you will know that I'm in the Father and you and me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, look at verse 21. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. You know what Jesus is saying? In the life in between, with your heart steadied, you will be ready to live as you are connected to me through the power of the helper, knowing for certain that I love you. In the crazy world we live in, sometimes I have to be reassured in my fear. Sometimes my faith has to be reinforced. But you know what really does it for me? When I see that Jesus loves me enough to go to a cross and die for me. He says in verse 21, he's gonna manifest himself. You're gonna see the truth about me. Verse 23 and 24, our love for Christ, our unity. Judas, not a scary, verse 22 said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Everything he's doing in this passage is this. You will be able to live the in-between life because you are connected to me. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. I'll be honest, I can't remember hardly anything. We, we, have a, we have a password system in our church that keeps all of our passwords together. It should effectively be known as the Brian White Memorial Password System because I don't know any of my passwords. What I try to do is get one password and then change one letter, and then I don't remember which letter I changed. So this password program is called 1Password, and this is the way, this is the way they pitched it to me. I know you struggle with this. I know your admin has to keep all of your passwords for you. I'm like, that's true, that's true, that's true. 
They're like, this is going to be great. This program is called One Password because you only have to remember one password. I'm like, this is, this is such potential failure. All you have to do is remember one password. The reason why we're getting the program is because I don't remember any passwords. So now you're making all of them dependent on me remembering one. What's the chance of that? Have you ever had like, like have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and like a spiritual thing comes to mind and you're like, I can't pull it back from my memory when I was in Awana or whatever. Here's the thing. What Jesus is saying is this, everything you need for the life in between, as you are connected to the helper, connected to me, the Holy Spirit's right there helping and bring it to pass. He'll bring it to remember. All of those spiritual passwords, listen, Holy Spirit's got them. Stay connected. Consider that in today's world, everything about this passage screams, there's more to life than what we see. There's more to life than the temporal, there's the eternal. Life in Christ, not just life with the knowledge of Christ, this is the in-between life. Look at how this ends, let's just finish. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He circles right back to where he started. I I want you to be settled in your heart. I want you to be ready for this in-between life. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say that I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may, what? Believe. He's studying them and readying them. In light of all these things, he brings it right back to this. When life seems like a pendulum between two polar opposite lists of experiences and emotions, when our spiritual equilibrium is so easily set off by the recent news or frayed relationships, know that Jesus wants you, his followers, to live purposefully while awaiting his return. In this in-between life, he would say, live with confidence because you can live through connection. And he steadies us and he readies us if you believe, if you believe. Do you believe? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? I'm mindful that in a room like this, there may be someone who has heard all of these spiritual things. Maybe you come to church a hundred times. Have you ever turned and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who came to this earth, who took your sin and my sin and paid for it at the cross, something we could never do on our own, something we didn't deserve to have done. But God in his grace and mercy sent Jesus as a sacrifice to pay for your sin, to literally, as it says in the scripture, make a way for you to come to God. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ and come to God? If not, why not today? I'll be friends right here in the front after this service. It'd be our greatest privilege to introduce you to Jesus. Many of you in this room right now, maybe watching online, you are a follower of Christ. Does your faith need to be reinforced? Does your fragile and fearful heart need to be steadied? Here's the thing. You can live confidently through connection, and therefore you'll find this is true. It's not in the absence of, but in the possession of a steadied and readied heart that we can daily rejoice whenever we see the words that Jesus said, surely I'm coming soon. And in the middle of this crazy in-between life, settled, steadied, and readied, then we can truly echo 
the words of John in Revelation as sweet worship and blessed expectation. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you steady us and ready us. If there's even one person here who doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. For the many who do know you, I pray, Lord, that you would ready us to live purposefully in this in-between life, all for your glory and for the sake of your great name, Jesus. We love you completely and we give you all the glory. Amen.